This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 119 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. And this episode is dedicated to the early signing period, which is this Wednesday, December 15th. For the 2022 recruiting class, Rutgers is in a very strong position right now, uh, has a class ranked in the top 25, obviously not the uh, final signing period, which will come uh, in early 22, but uh, obviously the bulk of the class around the country will be signed on December 15th. And we wanted to really do a deep dive into this class, how the transfer portal will ultimately finish off the class. And also just in terms of the job that the coaching staff has done building this class, positions of priority, the upside for certain uh, recruits in this class, and much more. And to do that, we're fortunate to have back with us 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan, who's been in the game a long time and also covered Rutgers football from a recruiting perspective for a long time as well. And we welcome him in now. It's my pleasure. Now, welcome in and welcome back to the podcast, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, who's covered Rutgers football as well for a long time, Brian Doan. Brian, thanks so much for being back. Hey, man. Always appreciate it. Always. So here we are. We're speaking Monday, the day, uh, two days before early signing period for the class of 2022. Wanted to ask your thoughts just in terms of, obviously, the job that the Rutgers coaching staff has done with this class. Uh, not only in getting this class committed and and close to signed, but also how they've maintained the class during this past season. Yeah, I I think you you hit it right on the head there when you talk about maintaining the class, because in this day and age where, you know, I feel like right now, every day I'm writing about somebody flipping to, to another school or, you know, with some coaching uncertainty that there's always stuff going on. I mean, I look at the Rutgers class and they've lost three kids in it. You know, I think one of them was by their choice. One of them, Davis and Igbenusen from Union High School, is still involved with them. Uh, I think they're going to have to rally if if you get to Wednesday and he he signs with Rutgers. And then Addison Copeland, who was a kid from New York, upstate New York, who wound up committing to Pitt. Um, and I think you know they got him early in the process and. And it was a little more difficult to hold on to him. But other than that, I mean, they did an outstanding job. And especially when you look at a guy like Moses Walker, who Penn State remained on heavily uh, for a long time after his commitment. Ohio State inquired about him. You know, there there's some guys that, you know, even, even Kobe Asamoah, the offensive lineman from Ohio, you know, Ohio State kicked the tires on that one, too, and they were able to keep him committed. And then, you know, Rutgers also did a good job of evaluating some seniors and really keeping an eye on them. And and they got three kids from that group. You know, if you're looking at Thomas Amonqua from Hillsborough, you know, Mike Higgins, the, the tight end who just started playing up at Blair Academy, and Dante Chen, who really had his first season of football down in Florida, so they, you know, it's typically what you expect out of Greg Schiano. He'll he'll recruit well, um, he'll build great relationships, and he'll save some room for some class for some kids late in the class if they develop. So obviously, this class is is trending towards um, the highest rated class Rutgers has had in some time. Uh, currently, as we speak on Monday, uh, according to uh, composite rankings, twenty four seven Sports, twenty first nationally, fifth in the Big Ten. 
wanted to ask just in terms of uh, how you think they'll ultimately finish and how much COVID kind of played into recruiting overall nationally, but also, you know, was it, do you think it benefited Rutgers in this specific class? Um, or do you think that this is sustainable over time for Greg Schiano? Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the last one first. This better be sustainable over time because that's how you build a program and you compete in the Big Ten. And I'm not saying compete every year with Ohio State, which I'm sure Greg Schiano wants to do and would bristle at the fact of me suggesting otherwise. But, you know, <laughs> in order to make that climb up the ladder, you have to put these kind of classes together. And this cannot be a one-off class. It has to be a class that, you know, continue, you, know you, you build on these classes. And for me, I don't think COVID had a huge factor in this class. I think if you go back to the 21 class, obviously, it was the predominant theme of the class. But in this class, a lot of these kids had chances to get out and make visits if they wanted to. Um, they felt comfortable with Rutgers as a staff to commit, you know, a lot of them before June, which is when visits opened up. But, you know, again, these kids were all free to take visits other places if they wanted to in June, late July, and throughout the season. Now, the consequence usually would be, we're done with you, which is kind of what happened with Davis and Igbenus, and they weren't done with them. But he said, listen, my brother, who's at Rutgers, did not get to take visits because of COVID. I took some in June, but I still want to take some in the fall. And I said, well, if you're going to take visits, you know, you can't, you know, it doesn't happen as a committed player. And, you know, if you want to talk about it from that standpoint, maybe with Igbenusen, it hurt them. But I, I think that's the only one. I think overall, they just did a great job of, you know, evaluating kids earlier in the process. However, they did it with film, with knowing a lot of people, uh, you know, before you could make visits in June. And, and then they just stayed with, what they believed in. And, you know, then you look at Zylon Williams or maybe Amir Stanett, you know, Zylon's the kid from DeMatha down in, in Maryland. And he committed in, in late November after the staff continued to evaluate him during the season. I mean, they would have taken him before. He just wasn't ready. And Amir Stanett is a kid that has really worked hard to, to transform his body and has already lost, I think, something like 30 to 40 pounds. I've seen him play twice in the last two weeks of the season and he moves a lot better and they had him in camp and were able to get him committed because they were able to get him on camp. So I, I don't, I mean, I'm always long winded on these things, but I don't think COVID played much of a role in classes this year. Talking to you just in terms of early signing period, what you've seen in trends the last few years, both nationally um, with Rutgers, it seems like a lot of these players set to sign on Wednesday do plan to enroll early in January. Is that something you've seen across the board? And, and, or is that something that this staff specifically has prioritized? No, I think you see it everywhere. And to be honest, it's almost out of the norm now for kids not to enroll in January. I think when kids sit there and say, yeah, I'm coming in in May or June, you're like, really, what happened? So, <laughs> um, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and I get it. Look, at, I, I can make arguments on both sides of the line on this one. You get in early, it means not only you and your strength and conditioning program, spring practice, workouts, and all that jazz, you're also a semester ahead when it comes to getting your degree or getting your master's. Like I, I talked to a kid at a high school game, uh, geez, a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm going to leave out who he is and what school he was from, but I asked him how things were going and he's going to be a junior in the fall, you know, next fall, he's going to be a junior and he's set to graduate. 
And then if he decides to stay for longer, he can get his master's. That's what kids think about these days. That's what programs want. The flip side is you don't get to be a kid that last spring of your high school life where you get to go to prom or you get that senior ditch day or you know especially if you're living in this area where you want to hit the shore maybe on that friday when everybody's bailing on that you know that first really beautiful friday in in mid april or late april you don't really get to do that stuff and i'm i'm kind of you know having teenage kids i'm against that aspect of it cuz i want you know they i think they should experience all that but the trade off is you're going to school for free with no student loan debt so you know, like I said, you're six on one, half dozen on the other side. And that's a good segue to asking about the impact that Gavin Wimsett has made on this class in terms of his early enrollment uh, a year uh, or I guess a semester ahead of time. How much did that play into, you think, solidifying the class and keeping this class together? You know, it depends. If you're on, if you're operating under the premise that he was always going to sign with Rutgers, regardless of whether you know he went in in September like he did or if he was going to sign in December, it had no impact. But if you were going to lose him in October and November to another school, then his enrolling early had an enormous impact. You know, I, I think when people watched Rutgers the last two years, well, let's just say, you know, you need a quarterback there and find me a college program where you have success on the field without a good college quarterback, Right. And so for the recruits, they know that kid is in the program. So it gives stability. He has relationships with those kids from building the program, especially a kid like Sam Brown, the running back out of LaSalle in Philadelphia. So, you know, and Sam at one point was, you know, there was some chatter that he would make a visit, especially to UVA. Now that got shut down long before Bronco Mendenhall left as UVA's coach, but the relationship with Wimsett helps there. Now, if Gavin Wimsett was still signing Wednesday, you know, he'd still be talking to all these kids saying, come with me as well. And I don't think it would have had any impact, but you don't know what that held for, you, you, you know, nobody can read what would have happened had he not enrolled early. So talking about the, the priority uh, that, you know, it's no secret offensive line, major need, major priority with this class. Rutgers has addressed it, uh, seven potential uh, and expected signees in this class, obviously headlined by Jacob Allen, the top player in New Jersey. H- how do you think they did in that area, not just from a number standpoint, from, but from potential with the guys they have coming in? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we talk about the offensive line recruiting, I mean, we saw this season in terms of a couple kids who came in as defensive linemen Ireland Brown, who at the time of his transfer from BC was Ireland Burke, you know, and you look at uh, the kid from Connecticut who was a defensive lineman who wound up starting at right guard. You know, I I think you you look at that and I think when you're bringing in this many offensive linemen, you understand just how difficult the situation is right now and, and how badly they need better players at that position. But I'll say this, none of these kids are ready to play. And so best case scenario i mean best case is they're ready to go in the 23 season and most of them won't be ready to go in the 23 season which is why you're seeing rutgers so active in the transfer portal with trying to get offensive linemen and i think that will continue i think that will in talking to a couple of the kids like a, like a willie tyler who's from louisiana monroe i think he's a kid that could decide closer to christmas we'll see you know maybe even longer than that 
other guys will get into the portal in early January. You know, they have work to do academically or whatever. So they're going to go in in January because once you enroll in a school and take that first class, you're on scholarship for the rest of the semester and then sort out there. And then you're going to have another wave of them after enduring spring practices. And so to sit here and say, okay, here's what they're going to do on the offensive line. Yeah, the, the kids they're bringing in as high school kids are continuing to build depth and a base in the program, but none of them are going to help this next coming season. And you've watched the offensive line the last couple of years. I mean, you know, they need help. And so, and there's some younger guys in a program that you would expect can, can start trending toward more playing time, but they still need depth. And so I think the thing for people to watch is even after this early signing period, pay attention to the transfer portal because you know, everybody wants their team to win yesterday. I still think them having five wins was a coaching miracle this past season. Um, and so, you know, they're going to have to get guys that are more college ready to play through the portal. I think that's a great point. And, and that was one thing I wanted to, to touch on with you was, you know, how much should people read into, you know, the positions that are being filled through this recruiting class versus what the staff will now look for in the portal? It really, you know, like you just said with offensive line, it doesn't matter. They're just trying to build depth in certain spots. Uh, how do you think that this staff is approaching um, now that they're close to signing this class, then attacking the portal after that in terms of, you know, how they've mapped out the available spots and position needs? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not like there's unlimited spots in, on your roster that you can just go get guy after guy after guy, right? So that's the first point. The second point is offensive linemen, Yo, man, this is not an easy gig getting offensive linemen to commit. I mean, everybody needs offensive linemen. And so they're going to, you know, they're bat Curtis Dunlop is a kid from University of Minnesota who they're battling Texas for. And, you know, we'll see where that winds up. So if you're a high level offensive lineman, I mean, you know, Rutgers is a tough sell from a recruiting standpoint because everybody has playing time for a high level offensive lineman. But you have to look at the fact of what do they have playmaker-wise receiver? Not much. So if they can go get a playmaker receiver, yeah. But getting that playmaker receiver out of the portal is a little more difficult because you're going to have a quarterback with no experience. And a guy in the portal who's a really good player wants to go somewhere where there's a proven quarterback, not to mention a proven offensive line. You need somebody who can rush the quarterback on the defensive line now you know as well as I do, those guys are not just readily available. And they're usually guys who are, you know, if you're Rutgers, you're looking for that kid who's 6'4", 200 pounds, who in two years can be 6'4", 250 and go after the quarterback. You know, people talk about what happened with Muhammad Ture. Why was he not as effective this year as he was as a freshman? Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. He played a lot more downs. There's a lot more tape on him. And he still has to get stronger and add weight because now schools were ready for him coming off the edge. And so, you know, yeah, you want to find offensive linemen. You want to find a receiver. I mean, heck, I'd like to find another quarterback if I'm Rutgers. Um, you'd like to find an, uh, an edge guy. But, you know, what are there, 140 programs? And I think 139 of them need those guys. Speaking of quarterback, how hard do you, of a sell do you think it will be knowing they have their, you know, for all intents and purposes, their, their quarterback of the future for now with Wimsat being able to sell, a, a, you know, a quarterback that could actually make an impact here and while also, you know, managing the relationship with Wimsat and keeping him happy? 
Well, you know, that, that's a great point and, and it's something really to look hard at. And so to me, there's two, two things you're looking at. First of all, Evan Simon is still, he's got, you know, he's still young, right? He's technically only going to be a sophomore because his first year didn't count anyway. And I'm not even sure if he played enough games this past year. Maybe he can redshirt again. You, you would know that more than he I did, would. Yeah, he did, yeah. The okay. last game, he, uh, he went at five games. Okay. So, he, so, he so he still had, but he still has three years left, right? Right. Yep. And so, so you, have your, you have two quarterbacks there. You always want to bring in a quarterback in every class. The portal, again, will be an option for somebody. Maybe somebody has experience to come in and help Wimsat out. It's something that you're going to have to balance carefully. But the flip side is, if Gavin Wimsett believes in you as a program and believes in your offense and the coaching, and you would think there's going to be – I think everybody thinks he'll be the starter in fall unless he just has just an atrocious spring and an atrocious fall camp. And from everything I've heard, he's been nothing but very good all fall. So the expectation level is he will play. That's great, but you still need other quarterbacks. I mean – you know, Penn State had a rough season, and a big reason, you know, was they lose to Iowa because Sean Clifford gets hurt, and the guy they bring in is Taquan Roberson, the kid from DePaul who's now in the portal. You have to have a good backup quarterback. I mean, when C.J. Stroud went out at Ohio State, they still had Kyle McCord sitting there. And, you know, mm-hmm. in years past with Bama, when when Jalen Hurts got hurt or Tua got hurt, you'd have Jalen Hurts or vice versa. And even when Trevor Lawrence was out last year, you had DJ for a game. I mean, you have to have depth to be a higher level program, not even an elite, but a higher level program. So they got to figure out a way to get another quarterback, you know, whether it's transfer or whatever in the 23 class. And for me, is it a hard sell? Yeah. But I mean, Shiano was brought here to do things like this and get the program elevated and get the facilities done and all that other stuff. So, you know, it's part of his job. I'm, I'm sure he knows that. But listen, you know, the, the job of the coach is if you have nobody, hey, come here, you can play right away. And if you have somebody, come here, the competition's great. So just spin it however you want and get a kid in. Uh, just a few more here for you, hey. Brian. In terms of the 22 class, who, who in this class do you look at as someone that could potentially uh, make an impact right away next season? And then who, I guess, are you most excited about from a long-term perspective? You know, usually I don't like these questions, but I like it in this case with this class because I feel like there's some kids that really are being underappreciated by Rutgers fans. And the first one, I think Thomas Amonkwa can come in and play right away. Um, the question is, do you put them at corner or safety? And I think that's kind of the way they're leaning. Or do you put him at receiver? Because while he may not be the most fluid in and out of his breaks, they need receivers. And I saw him play twice during the season. He was by far the best kid on the field in every game, as well he should be, right? He, he should be that dominant on the field playing at, at, at that level of high school, but he was, and he's a mature kid. He's got a brother that already plays in college. I think he can come in and play quickly. And, and I think, you know, if I'm a Rutgers fan, I'm excited by him. The other kid I'm really intrigued about is Mike Higgins. And he was a really tough kid to rank because he, he really didn't play football until this year. He was going to go to Michigan out of Don Bosco as a walk-on probably on the defensive line, 
I was with Sean Brown, you know, who, who covers recruiting for scarletnation.com. And we were at a game at, at the Hun school and Mike Higgins made an unbelievable catch. His frame is great. He's got to learn to get out of breaks. There's times he'll, he'll really catch the ball with his hands and he's got big hands and strong. And there's other times it would get into his body. And I think when you get coaching at the college level and, you know, his dad was a pro baseball player. So there's some genes involved there. I really think, and then, and then you realize that a Rutgers tight end, I think on some days you could have lined up for it. Um, Cause you got nothing out of him in the blocking game and knowing what this kid is physically give him some time to develop. I, I think he can be a really good player. And, and knowing that Sean Gleason wants to use the tight end in the offense, which is really something that hurt their passing game is not having that guy the last two years. I, I, for me, I'm excited to watch him. And then I'm also excited to see, I've heard so much about Kobe Asamoa um, out of Ohio, the offensive lineman who I've met at camps. He's really long. He's athletic, really good feet. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how he develops and, and how long it takes him to get onto the field. Well, I think it's, it's, it's intriguing what you're saying because you're really targeting guys that, you know, also aren't even the top rated guys in the class. So I think the depth of this class, you know, certainly uh, appears on paper uh, to be, uh, you know, as strong as Rutgers has had in quite some time. Wanted to ask about the linebackers, the job they've done there, uh, you know, two of their top three highest rated recruits uh, there at linebacker. Um, and just with the job they've done in previous classes, but adding Moses Walker, Anthony Johnson, yeah, Kyrie Banton from last class. How, how good of a job do you think this uh, coaching staff has done in terms of rebuilding uh, that unit moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we'll see if it if it pans out, but it says that it should. And you know, they're they're also involved with the Colby Reader kid from Delaware, you know, the Delaware transfer, who it's it's Rutgers, Kansas State, and Iowa State, but he's more of a one year guy. But yeah, I mean, I think when you look at Moses Walker, I could easily make the case that he's the top the top player in the class, right? Now you're looking at Jacob Allen, whose position is more of a premium position, which is why he'll he'll get a little bit higher from that standpoint. But on the flip side of it, I mean, you know, I know I know we're talking composite stuff, but when we're talking about just a straight two four seven rankings, Moses Walker is ranked higher. And he's a kid that I've seen play a few times uh, in the spring and also in the fall. He can play inside linebacker and play the mic. He can do exactly what Olakunle Fadakasi did, which in this defense that they run, it is designed for that position to make the tackles. That's what the defensive linemen, you know, that's the gaps they're hitting, the blocks they're taking on, what they're trying to do on the outside. They're trying to funnel things to that position to be a tackling machine. He can do that. Now, Moses also has the ability to play, I think, as an outside linebacker. I've seen him blitz off the edge and have success there. I think that's one thing that really gets overlooked when people are just watching football games and trying to break down a defense. I mean, you know, I, I know you go back far with Rutgers, and if you go back to Shiano's teams his first time around, you know, whether it was Kasim Green or Devron Thompson or Brandon Renkart, whoever, their linebackers could blitz. They were a good blitzing team from the linebacker spot. They are not right now. Tyree Powell has to learn how to do it. He's got some ability, and you saw that. He's got to learn how to, you know, kind of avoid some of the blocks and, 
and use his athleticism to really get into the backfield. And, and I think he'll get there. But these guys, when you're talking about Moses Walker and then Anthony Johnson, who if you put on his freshman tape compared to his senior tape, you'd be amazed at the growth he's made in understanding assignments, his ability to change direction, his ability to hit the correct gap. And he is a kid that really likes to play downhill and he plays fast. And again, because of the relationships um, that he's built at, at Rutgers, other programs could have come in and tried to get him, but they had no chance. So for me, they've done a great job of adding athleticism to the position because let's just be honest, their linebackers were not very athletic this past season. I mean, they made tackles, but somebody's got to tackle the ball on defense. You know, every play is not going for 80 yards. And so, like I said, it was designed for certain guys to make tackles. So their numbers are always going to be high, but they just need to upgrade their ability to run at the linebacker spot. And I feel like these two guys do that in a big way. So answer this as specifically or generally as you'd like. But one thing I know all Rutgers fans are wondering going into Wednesday is, do you expect any surprise uh, recruits to commit and sign to the program? As we sit here Monday, do I expect it? No, there's nothing out there that says this is going to happen. There's going to be some options. It's Shiano. He always does. I should say always. Most times he does something on signing day. It's a little bit different these days. You know, kids are getting out of their season. They have to, the coaches had to go real quick and visit everybody. So it's not as easy to find those guys. You know, the, the ones that you'll find maybe more will be in February. But, I mean, I know they're working on one or two things, but I'm not, as of Monday afternoon, I'm not optimistic. And um, do you think, or I guess could you answer, do you think they're still in it and have a chance with Igbenison uh, at the end of this? They will have a chance up until late Tuesday night or even Wednesday morning. They're, they're in it. They've always been in it. Him making an official to Ole Miss right before the dead period. Now, Shiano went in that Thursday night. So he got that shot before, you know, Friday through Sunday. He, you know, Davison's at Ole Miss. It's going to be tough, but yeah, they're they're still in it. I, I I'm kind of curious to see how it transpires. To be honest. <laughs> and last question for you: Where do you see this class, class shaking out in the final rankings? And at the end of the day, you know, is it how important is it perception wise to finish in the top twenty five? And does it really matter just in terms of? all the depth and potential talent we talked about, you know, whether wherever they rank, I mean, it it seems like, you know, things are looking really bright for this class. Yeah. I mean, does it matter? I guess it does because even though every coach says rankings don't matter, it's amazing how, you know, come signing day when they have a top 10 class, they can't wait to talk about the rankings that don't matter. Right. (laughs) So from that standpoint, it matters, but you know, we're kind of navigating some new stuff here. And as we sit here, you know, taping this, I think they're 21st, like you mentioned. Now, there's some other schools who maybe can afford to take five more kids than Rutgers can take. And that's going to impact the ranking. There's probably going to be some schools behind Rutgers that normally would pass them that can't pass them because they don't have enough slots. I mean, I know a couple ACC schools that were trying to make room for a defensive lineman that just couldn't make the numbers work because of the scholarship crunches. And then the other thing is, you know, transfers are getting factored into the rankings now. So where you finish now could change in late January, early February, 
when transfers start going crazy and get reevaluated and all that stuff. So is it important? Yeah, I mean, he, they can spin it however they want. If they finish in the top 25, it'll be great. And I'm sure they'll say it's their first top 25 class and how proud they are of it. And if they don't, they'll talk about how it's their top class anyway and all the depth in it. And we may not have the numbers of other schools, but we like the quality of our players better. So it's all how you spin it, but it's good, you know, publicity of how of being ranked higher than you have before. I don't think it's ever a bad thing. Ryan Doan, National Recruiting Analyst, 24-7 Sports. Always enjoy talking to you. Great insight on this class. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to talking to you uh, down the road. Hey, anytime, Aaron. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much to Brian Doan for joining us once again to talk about Rutgers football recruiting. The 2022 class certainly extremely exciting and very intriguing for what they have to offer to Rutgers football and what they can provide and the level they can potentially perform at. Really seems like a very deep class where we could see perhaps not a lot of contributors in day one next year, but uh, in years two, three, and four really could be, uh, you know, the, the the needle that moves this program forward in the Big Ten. I think what's also intriguing is then how the uh, coaching staff will respond once early signing day is passed and how they'll look to fill holes specifically for the 22 season with the transfer portal and beyond. You can find all of our coverage at onthebanks.com for early signing period on Wednesday. We'll have coverage of each recruit that ultimately signs with Rutgers, as well as big picture articles and full analysis at onthebanks.com. You can follow us at Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Thanks so much for joining us and listening here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.